March 1965. The crew of Osgod II, having completed the world's first spacewalk, are now surviving alone in the dense forests of Russia's Kama uplands. A re-entry problem means they've landed 240 miles off course, and when rescuers find them, the forests prevent helicopters from landing. Cosmonauts Pavel Believ and Alexei Leonov are told to wait for rescuers to arrive on foot. These woods are home to wolves and bears, made more territorial than normal by mating season. And all the cosmonauts have to protect themselves with is a tiny Makarov handgun. This is Failure to Launch, and today we're going to be talking about space guns. We had a pretty large bang associated with the um, caution and warning now. Okay, we have an apparent serious oxygen leak. Hello, listener, and welcome to Failure to Launch, the space history podcast where we take you through every mistake, failure, and explosion that made modern space exploration possible. We are your hosts, Quinn, Chris, and Chris. And today we are going to be talking about space guns. Ah, so right off the bat, you guys know guns, right? I know one of I know one of the Chris's is a big gun nerd and the other is somewhat familiar, right? That is correct. Gotcha. So, yeah, like I said, today, today we've got a fun one for you Uh, by request from a fan. We will be talking about space guns and and something I want to clarify kind of right off the bat. When I say space guns, I do not mean that we're going to be talking about all kinds of space weapons. Uh, And I do not mean uh, like guns for launching things into space. You mean powder actuated firearms? I am I am specifically talking about firearms that have flown into orbit or were designed for use in space. Like at some point, like we'll definitely be taking the time to talk about uh, those other ones. But if we tried to lump every space weapon into an episode, we'd be here for, you know, we'd be here for months. Good fucking luck. We'd be on part six. Give it time. Yeah, one day. Someday. Yeah, wait someday. till we hit. One day. Wait till- yeah, like. We, we will get there. We're going to talk about all of like the failed space weapons. We're going to talk about Gerald Bull. Uh, we're going to talk about the, the Polyuse battle station that flew Wait, backwards. Wait, do we hit ASAT? <laughs> we're gonna, oh yeah, we're going to talk about Star Wars. We're going to talk about... Uh, Terra 3, probably? Terry Shogun. All right, I just had a thought. Yes. You are. So you know how there's like, quote unquote, space food ice creams, right? That's not actually space food. Yeah. yeah. That, but space gun, quote unquote. That's not actually a space gun. So just like, just like taking an AR-15 and like painting, painting the furniture white, and then yeah. just trying With to sell it to someone. Yeah, yeah. What would what would that be? We gotta we gotta brainstorm that one. That I'm I'm sorry I'm sorry to tell you, but people have already beat us to it, and those people made a TV show, and it's called For All Mankind. Oh, wonderful. No, yeah. I, I'm talking even jankier. <laughs> like, it has to be one of those weird AR survival rifles, like the ones in 22 Super Long. But just, you know, I think, like the AR, I think that's the AR-7. I don't normally know. I And for something for whatever fans uh, of this show are big into guns, please do not get mad at me. I am not a gun expert. I do not pretend to be. Uh, I will probably get things wrong. Um, the only reason I, I know about the AR-7 was... Specifically because of researching for this show. I, I think it was the AR-7 or the AR-5. One of one, those. One of those, I'm pretty sure. Uh, we are, like, like most of our shows, we are going to have to start with a bit of a history lesson that'll explain the rules about space weapons. So the 1967 Outer Space Treaty signed by 111 nations at the UN decreed that no nation was allowed to station WMDs in orbit or establish any kind of military presence on a celestial body, like the moon. It serves as the basis under which any nation may peacefully explore space, and no country can claim ownership of a chunk of space or a celestial body. It also left a lot of things out, 
Crucially for us, it is completely legal to put conventional weapons into orbit and even test them. However, unless you count anti-satellite missiles, only one country has ever tested on space weapons, the Soviet Union. And I am, I am aware, uh, we have heard from some fans uh, that we have been overly focused on the Soviet Union for a long time. I want to assure any listeners that this is not due to anything against the Soviets. And it's just because they have, they have, they're the low-hanging fruit of space failures. Uh, they have so much fun material to look at. However, after this episode, we will be taking a break from the Soviets for a while and looking at other nations and their space failures. The second point we need to explain is the actual physics of a space gun. Uh, so, like, what happens if you fire a gun in space? If you actually go and look that up on Google, you will find endless articles by journalists who recently watched For All Mankind. To cut to the chase, yes, a gun will fire in space, or on the moon, or, or Mars, or underwater even. Uh, bullets work by burning propellant and oxidizer inside the bullet casing to force the bullet down the barrel at speed. That's, that's just the rule for burning anything, fuel and oxidizer. Yeah. That's how rockets work. That's how, you know, any kind of engine works. Though I may interject with this, it's a little foible. The only real unusual factor would be how the uh, the guns are gassed or what proportion of gas is allowed back to cycle the action. And that would be different in space than on the ground because you have such great pressure difference between chamber and atmospheric and chamber and near vacuum. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that, and that is something we will be getting to. So on Earth, you've got a lot of oxidizer just floating around in the form of, you know, oxygen in the atmosphere. But bullets have their own oxidizer mixed in with the fuel and the casings are airtight, which means they can be fired like literally anywhere. They, they are independent of the environment that they are in. Yeah. And the same thing is true for rockets, actually, uh, because space has no air. Rockets have to bring their own oxidizer with them to burn with their fuel. It's just a rocket going to space. It has its travel suitcase, you know, change yeah. of outfit. It has everything it needs. A day kit. Yeah. yeah. Now, firing a bullet in space works fine, but the other parts of a gun uh, are going to present us some problems. Like most things with moving parts, guns need lubrication to work properly. Most kinds of gun lubricants would evaporate in space, though you can also get some solid lubricants, which wouldn't evaporate. Uh, but those also carry the risk of off gassing in space. Heat also presents you a problem. For most guns, the biggest heat sink is the air. Uh, in space, you do not have that. Uh, heat from the bullet stays in the gun. Uh, the only place for it to go is slowly radiated out to space or transmitted to your spacesuit, which would be very bad. Or any ejected brass, but that's not the largest amount. That's yeah. It, it will not. Th that is something to. That is. It would take some of that. Um, but, but not it would not much. be not not enough to significantly cool the weapon. Finally, there's the classic uh, firing a gun in zero G could send you spinning. That's uh, that's just the Newtonian uh, equal and opposite force stuff on Earth. That's recoil. The gun pushes back towards the user or up or sideways or however. So like the recoil force from a single bullet is not a lot shooting. Like, for example, shooting an AK-47 creates a recoil force of about seven foot pounds. Um, but without something to secure the shooter and counter that force, any shot will send them spinning. It's just a matter of how much. More shots means even more energy spinning the shooter around. Not only that, guns on Earth are specifically engineered with systems to control their recoil. Uh, while that might sound like a good thing, all of these systems are designed to work either with or against gravity. In zero-g, like, any gun would be completely unstable because... Just just because the force of gravity that it is designed to work with is no longer there. And you would functionally need an action that will negate the energy of your projectile flying out of the barrel, which would necessitate either a counter recoil system or an equal and opposite reaction from the opposite end of the gun, which is usually going to be stuffed into your shoulder or in your hand. Quote. Sir Isaac Newton is the deadliest motherfucker in space. Don't bring Mass <laughs> Effect into this yet, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> uh. But also, um, I do have to play a slight devil's advocate to this. It would not necessarily take a large round to be lethal in space. Oh, no. Because all you would have to <laughs> do is to violate the integrity of their suit. That's, uh, then, that's, a, that's a very technical way of saying... Puncturing them and exposing them to vacuum. Them. Yes. Yeah. 
Then, then again, um, that could also depending, be the, depending on where you hit, because astronauts, every astronaut does have a patch kit. But if you're getting shot at, that implies the whole other uh, problem of Jesus Christ. I am currently receiving inbound in space. Right. Which, yeah, like, and I guess if you get shot, yeah, long, long story short, if you if you were to shoot anyone in space with anything, chances are you're taking them out of the equation for at least temporarily and probably permanently. And if you're a true dick, you put holes in their station. So we, we talked about all those problems. Now, none of those are deal breakers. If you want a gun designed to fire in space, you can make one. You can fill it with solid lubricant and rejig the recoil system to work better in zero G. You can plate the gun in materials that will radiate heat better, or even you can like build in a heat sink to try and keep the temperature manageable. Um, you can find ways of locking yourself down so the recoil doesn't send you spinning or just use one of those like astronaut jetpacks. Like, long story short, you can do it. Making a normal gun and turning it into a space gun is an engineering challenge, not a technical impossibility. If you want to cut it, I have included an example of what you could classify as a uh, an easy gun to make function in space. Anything that's, uh, I think, pepper box style would be the best terminology for it. I could be completely wrong and just get absolutely flamed for this. But anything that with underwater gun you got, it's a it's the only one I really remember, but anything right. that just has a multitude of barrels that do not need to be rotated to fire multiple shots. And the reload for that is simply snap off the barrel assembly, snap on a new one in your business. All you would need are just electrical contacts on the back of it. So it doesn't actually need to it doesn't actually need to action in any way. Oh, there is no action whatsoever. It's right. It just fires. You, you each, would you would barrel. still have like. Yeah. A recoil of oh yes, you well, know, a lot the, of energy inside. For but still, like shots. yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, that that would definitely get rid of a lot of the problems. It just it just needs a little bit of black powder now, just to let them know that you're shooting at them. A little bit of a smoke screen. This is, but this is still good for what we're talking about because we're we are just talking about right now how. Making a space gun is not impossible. It is an engineering challenge. It is not like it's not something that's out of the question. And like you said, there are ways around that. There are ways of making it more feasible. However, if we're going to talk about historical space guns, I'm going to have to burst some bubbles and say that that's never been done. Most of the space guns we're going to talk about today were not modified and were specially designed. And those that weren't were never meant to be fired in space. These break down into two main categories survival guns to use after landing and space guns to use against enemy spacecraft and astronauts. Uh, the ones that are meant to be used in space are mostly meant to be used against like satellites or just to blind people. Uh, this They did not exactly imagine ever having to like repel borders from their space stations. Just, you know, blind a satellite or a dude. Survival guns and Soyuz training. Okay, so the first space guns weren't actually meant to be fired in space. They were survival guns. Uh, so you see a lot of these in air forces. The idea is that if a crew gets shot down or otherwise crashes, they can use this gun for protection, either against the enemy or against whatever wildlife they find. And because they're meant to be packed in a pilot's survival gear, they're often designed to be as light as possible. Uh, a lot of them can be broken down and reassembled easily, and some are even designed to like fold up together into a small case. Overall, they're designed to be light and compact. So you can understand why these are very good as space guns, because all the same rules apply. Uh, because in space, volume and mass are at a ridiculous premium where every kilo launched costs like thousands. Especially in a, I would dare say, a country that has centralized so much into that. Just yeah. because of the sheer amount of forces being put behind the space program, it's going to amplify any knock-on cost that much further. Especially back then, whenever, you know, rockets were still generally prototypical and costs were like even more expensive. Object D is still depressedly sitting in a warehouse waiting its turn to go up just so some <laughs> guy can launch like his sports car. Object D? Do you not remember Object D? I'm obsessed with the thing now. It's got a funny name. I think does, the name it is does funny. Rule. Oh, yeah. The, uh... the, the satellite that was supposed to be first, but Korolev, but it got... Uh, Swept into a beeping ball. You versus the man that she's thinking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it has like what this one has, uh, like thousands of pounds of like full on scientific instruments versus 180 pounds of beep. Like it was meant to do science. 
as opposed to I'm an angry beeping ball. Fuck Beep. you, buddy. Uh, back to the back to the guns. So the first people to pack survival guns for their space travelers were the Soviets. So there's two reasons for this. First is just that they were the first into space. Nice and simple. But the second bigger reason was that the Americans recovered their astronauts in their capsules, and those capsules always parachuted into the ocean. Uh, they figured that there weren't really many scenarios where astronauts would need a gun. The Soviets, meanwhile, dropped their capsules into the heart of Russia, and rescuing them was a complicated mix of tracking planes, helicopters, and ground teams. Unlike the Americans, they could imagine a few scenarios where cosmonauts might need a bit of protection. Ah, yeah, so you've escaped the cruel ruthlessness of space. Welcome to the cruel ruthlessness of <laughs> Siberia. Yeah. Welcome home. And like Yuri Gagarin also had one of these packs, uh, although in his case, I, I guess, thankfully, he landed in a random farmer's field and uh, shouted at a bunch of shouted at a, at a random young girl instead of winding up uh, in Siberia. Like catcalling her or what? In propaganda, it has this thing where it's like the girl asked him, like, where, like, who are you? Where were you? And he's like, I, you know, I was in space for all of humanity. Uh, but in reality, in his memoirs, he's basically like, I asked her if I could use the telephone and she screamed and ran away. <laughs> that rules. I just realized that mission success or mission soft failure, you know, via them not being dead, right? Yeah. Maybe they, 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 they didn't do their mission correctly. Pass or fail. These guys would have ended up in Siberia either way. Yes. That is a fair point. <laughs> There's a strong chance that you're going into the fuck zone. Hey, you failed the mission. All right. I know that you landed in Siberia, but we're going to take you back to Siberia. We're, we're, re we're <laughs> redirecting your we're redirecting your landing point. You just see a cosmonaut like drifting into a gulag on a parachute. <laughs> so, like we just figured we'd save the costs and just put you right there. What is this? A Soviet three pointer? So the Soviets, they imagined a few scenarios where a cosmonaut might need a bit of protection. At the same time, that doesn't mean they took it too seriously. Definitely not seriously enough to specially design a space gun. The first firearms to ever fly into space were the Makarov 9mm handguns packed into the survival kits of every Vostok and Voskhod mission. Each craft would get one gun and plenty of ammo. I mean, the only adva the advantage you really have with a Makarov or any handgun like that it's just the fact that you can just dump rounds if you need to. Just there's a threat in this general direction. I'm going to fucking sneeze 9 by 18 at it until it stops. It may not be efficient, but by uh, by Khrushchev, it will die. It's going to be spooky. It's going to be scary. It's going to make some noise. Um, the Soviet super soaker. I hate it. I love it, but I hate it at the same time. Damn it. Now, like I said, I am not a gun nerd, uh, so I won't try and get super technical with this. Don't get mad at me if I get some tiny detail mixed up. But the Makarov is a weapon that is known for how compact it is, for how easy it is to use, and for being very reliable. Uh, what it is not known for is stopping power. When I said light and compact, what I mean is that this gun is tiny, and it fires an appropriately tiny bullet, the 9x18 Makarov. Now, this is generally fine for a soldier's pistol. But a survival gun needs a bit of punch to it. Like a lot of the Air Force survival guns that already existed at that time actually had multiple barrels and they were chambered for like you would have one barrel chambered for a rifle round and another for a shotgun. And it's because they're expecting like it's because they are designed with the expectation that you might need to shoot some wildlife. So, you know, the Makarov, this tiny little pistol, probably good against people. Uh, not good against a bear. It's made to make a person feel sad, not drop a full-grown Siberian <laughs> bear that probably hasn't eaten in f a week with a skull yeah, like that's going to shrug your bullets off and all it's going to do is get <laughs> more mad. The first time the cosmonauts would ever need to use the Makarov was during the Voskhod 2 mission in March of 1965. Now, this mission is probably more famous for being the first time a human has ever gone on a spacewalk. About an hour into the mission, cosmonaut Pavel Belyev watched as Alexei Leonov climbed out of the spacecraft's inflatable airlock and became the first man to ever float freely in space. So the spacewalk was supposed to last around 10 minutes, but actually took a bit longer because Leonov's suit ballooned up so much that he actually wasn't able to fit back into the airlock. So like he, he gets out there and like the pressure change and the heat like basically makes his space suit like balloon up like the Michelin man. That's wonderful. I think that makes him the first man to T-pose in orbit. 
Eventually, the only way he could get his suit to loosen up was to manually release pressure, burning his oxygen supply and almost exposing himself to the vacuum of space. And that was not the end of it. Because he had taken so long to get back in the airlock, the spacecraft's hatch had warped and wouldn't seal properly. Things have gone from bad to worse. Yeah. We could not have planned for this. <laughs> this possibly could not have happened. So while they were able to get him inside and close the door, they weren't able to fully seal it, uh, which meant that the spacecraft's automatic life support system tried to compensate for the leak by filling the capsule with so much extra oxygen that it became a risk of an oxygen fire. <laughs> ah, nice. We have created the problem. It's just problems spinning out into more problems. That oxygen just, you know, if it gets a little upset, you know, things aren't going to go so well for us up here. Boss God 2, Mission Control, we recommend that you breathe harder. Slurp the oxygen off. Just get rid of, get rid of the oxygen. Put more CO2 in there. Yeah. <laughs> it took the next 26 hours of the mission for Believ and Leonov to drop the pressure to safe levels while dealing with pounding headaches brought on by oxygen toxicity. But they but they sorted out their problems just in time for re-entry and in time for new problems. Hell yeah, brother. They quickly found out that the autopilot that was meant to put them in a controlled re-entry toward their target zone wasn't working and that they'd have to do the maneuver manually. But because Belly of the pilot couldn't get a good view of the Earth out the window from where his controls were, and he needed like he needed to look out the window to use the Earth as a reference for where to point the spacecraft. So he had to get out of his seat and lean over the control console to where he could see the window and still sort of reach the controls. <laughs> for reasons I have not been able to find, and despite not being like despite not handling any part of this maneuver, uh, Leonov also decided to get out of his seat and start floating around the capsule. <laughs> Listen, he might as well be comfortable, too. Things are about to go from bad to it's worse. It's not a matter of comfort. They're just horsing around in a spacecraft. Mom said he could take his seatbelt off. <laughs> Belliev's on my side of the spacecraft. Yeah, like so, so they're horsing around. They're out of their seats. Uh, when Belliev activated the reentry burn, both men were not where they were supposed to be. This might not sound like a problem, but like spacecraft controls are incredibly precise and you need to know where the spacecraft's exact center of gravity is. This also takes into account where the cosmonauts are, because having like two having 400 pounds of mass floating around. Exactly. In space, you need to you need to account for that. And you expect them whenever you do your calculations, you expect them to be seats. in their seats. <laughs> and because we're talking about space, yeah, space where speeds and distances are huge, any tiny error tends to snowball quickly. These two dudes were horsing around out of their seats, and that kicked off a chain reaction of errors that ended up with them landing almost 400 kilometers from their target zone in the dense forests of Russia's Kama uplands. Fucking nailed it. <laughs> Spot on, lads. It's just... We yeah, didn't it's, it's die just, in orbit. It, yeah, like, they're going through re-entry, and they're just, like, like sprawled over each other's seats. <laughs> I would like, say even better. Yeah, Belayev, I understand. Like that's a design thing. He had the controls, but he couldn't like maneuver. He couldn't look out the window from where he was sitting, so he had to get out of his seat. For some reason, Leonov, who was not the pilot, also decided like to get yeah, comfy. Me too. He, he looks like he's having fun. I'm just I can't find words. <laughs> I was gonna say something even better that we need to consider about this is the fact that you know mission control saw them immediately deviating from their required trajectory and probably said oh, oh shit well fuck uh let's go get lunch and we'll come back and coordinate this later <laughs> so they so they land they land not quite in siberia like this area is actually like it's it's not quite as cold but it's still like thousands of kilometers of just nothing but forest so after they landed a rescue helicopter found the two very quickly, but because the forests were so dense, it couldn't actually land to pick them up. Uh, instead, the helicopter crew dropped the cosmonauts some supplies and told them to wait for rescue. And this is where our trusty space survival pistol comes into the story. The forest was infested with wolves and bears, all made way more aggressive than normal because it was mating season. The wolves are trying <laughs> to fuck and you're getting in the way of that. Exactly. I'm sorry, you're dead. You dropped in at the worst possible time. From Russian Space Web, quote, the cosmonauts' bulky spacesuits were wet, but the crew's survival kit included shark repellent and no winter clothes. Haphazard attempts by the helicopter crews to drop jackets, pants, and containers with hot coffee resulted in pieces of clothing hanging high on the trees and with spectacular explosions of coffee containers hitting tree branches. 
however, one bottle of cognac did survive the fall in the deep snow. Oh, and fuck as yeah. Le- and as Leonov later joked, it did not make it back to the Star City Museum. <laughs> Uh, the cosmonauts were able to make a fire, but when Believ, against Leonov's advice, decided to warm up a tube of chocolate, it exploded and rocketed into the snow around 50 meters away. <laughs> Leonov also remembered seeing a pack of wolves lurking nearby, while the little pistol the crew had on board provided little comfort for the coming night in the wild. As darkness descended on the taiga, the cosmonauts crawled back into their capsule and blanketed themselves with the parachutes. Fortunately, this gave them enough uh, warmth during the night when temperatures plunged to minus 25 degrees Celsius. Shit. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> it's just there's wolves everywhere. And they have a tiny pistol, but they also have time for hijinks, which is like there's there, there's pants hanging in the trees. They have shark repellent for some reason. <laughs> and yeah, like they just explode a tube of chocolate. Negative <laughs> 25 is like... <laughs> I feel like my face is about to peel off, you know? No, you don't feel your face anymore, but I'm pretty sure if you scratch your nose, oh, your face on. is getting really flat really quick. It's, it's minus 25 is your face kind of hurts and your beard freezes. Okay, it's fine. Yeah, it feels like my face is going to come off. Although I, I would I would not like that's like that's me with my experience of like waiting for a city bus. I need to I need to I would not want to be outside, especially with my only blanket as a parachute. <laughs> Yeah, still minus 20, minus 25 degrees Celsius. Like I do need to clarify is very cold. You would not like over overnight without winter clothing. You would not survive unprotected as these guys almost didn't. I need I need to clarify. You said that he had a can of chocolate. He had a tube of chocolate. It was one of his like space tubes. Yeah, the the tube detonated. It got angie. Yeah, so he he basically took one of those um those cho- like those squeeze tubes that early space food was like all about and this was like chocolate pudding or something and he like put it on a stick and held it over the fire and it just like the pressure just popped it. Right. It, 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 I think for me, that's where it would be all over, you know, I wonder if a yeah. dog died. We're, we're trapped like, in the middle of nowhere. And my I'm only sense chocolate. of my only sense of joy just rocketed off like a hundred feet oh, that direction. Although, although here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. What are wolves and dogs allergic yeah, to? Exactly. <laughs> Alexi, smear me with chocolate. The wolves are coming. <laughs> I need to make myself as unappetizing as possible. This is like perfect enough that it could be like a a, a comedy movie, you know. This is gonna. The turn government up. shows up, and this man is just covered in chocolate. And they he's think- naked, covered in chocolate, like <laughs> draped in a parachute. This is gonna turn to like some weird pseudo homoerotic Soviet fiction. Oh no, we will get to that. Uh, but that Wait, happens what? in space on the Salyut stations, not on the ground. Oh, anyway, it's getting scoffed. Continue, please. They were eventually rescued after two days in the snow and never had to fire their tiny pistol. Uh, And even if they didn't need it, it sort of made the cosmonauts realize that their survival gun probably wouldn't be much good against a bear. And so they started complaining that they wanted a real survival gun. And okay, so this is kind of where the story splits a bit. Uh, A lot of sources you find online will make it sound like the cosmonauts complained about wanting a better gun. And they got the TP-82 cosmonaut survival pistol, a triple barrel monster that could shoot shotgun shells, rifle bullets and signal flares. Except here's the problem. Boss God 2 happened in 1965. The TP-82 that we're going to talk about would only be built starting in 1986, more than 20 years later, and only in the Soyuz spacecraft a generation after the Boss Gods. So like, so the cosmonauts complained that they wanted a bigger gun, and it, it immediately got lost in the paperwork. One thing that kind of gets missed in the, uh, the stories that you'll find online is that Alexei Leonov, like, eventually he winds up in charge of cosmonaut training, around this period in the in the 80s and it's then that he finally has the push to like tell these engineers like no we need a gun i need a gun gun yeah and and if you're wondering then if there's that 20 year gap if you're wondering why i'm even talking about the uh the voskhod 2 mission it's because the soviets claimed that it was the cause behind the tp82 even though it you know apparently took them 20 years to figure out or alexei leonov complained but only waited until he was you know in charge um so long story short uh despite what you might find online the actual story of how this gun comes to be is more complicated and not the not the uh, the brave propaganda story that often gets told like a lot of things in space as it turns out uh but back to what the weapon actually is 
So we'll have the picture up for those on YouTube, but basically it looks like a stereotypical sawed off shotgun, except it has a like a, a tiny little rifle barrel tucked in between uh, just underneath them. The rifle bullet it fired is the same as the AK-74, but the 40 gauge shotgun shells that it used had to be like specially designed and made. 40 gauge is tiny. Yeah, like, like keep that in mind because it'll be important later. Um, it also had signal flares that could be shot out of the shotgun barrels and a detachable stock that could be turned into a machete. As far as survival guns go, it was a little on the heavy side, clocking in at around six pounds, but it was apparently very well liked. From American astronaut Dave Wolf, quote, A wonderful gun. I found it to be well balanced, highly accurate, and convenient to use. So these astronauts got familiar with the weapon because it was part of their training. So any astronaut, whether, you know, NASA, ESA, Roscosmos, uh, who flew on the Soyuz after this time had to be trained with this weapon. While NASA made sure you can't really find any pictures of their astronauts training with it for PR reasons, a few space tourists have had the chance to shoot it before their flights, and you can see some pictures of them. Unfortunately, that's all there really is to say about the gun itself. What's a lot more interesting is the shadowy story around it, when exactly it stopped being used and what they replaced it with. So like I said, this whole section of the TP-82's history is pretty confusing. Uh, a lot of sources have given conflicting explanations, and I'm going to try and sort them out for you as best I can. Based off everything we know, the TP-82 uh, was officially part of the Soyuz spacecraft survival pack from between 1986 and around 2006. Um, most sources say that in 2007, the custom shotgun shells it used expired. Yeah, and so the gun was replaced with Russia's standard service pistol, the MP443. Okay, that's like, that's more yeah. punch than a Makarov, but still. So they they kind of go back, they go away from the custom design, they go back to the uh, the standard pistol. Um, but there is some evidence that they actually stopped flying the replacement pistol only a few years later, even mm. though it's it's still technically part of the emergency kit. Uh, during her final training in Moscow, Italian astronaut Samantha Cristoforetti, I'm a, I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong was asked to list the contents of the, so of the Soyuz emergency kit. Quote, Then, to show off I knew even more, I added that a pistol had once been on the list, but had recently been removed. But the board chairman, after congratulating her on a perfect score, corrected her on her extra comment. The pistol is still on the official list of kit contents, she recalled him saying. But before every mission, we meet to review that list and vote to remove it for this specific flight. Huh. So... We don't know when the last gun flew into space, because even before they replaced it with the MP443, they were also doing this thing where it's technically the the TP-82 is technically on the list, but then they just voted off before every flight. So they just decide not to pack it. A likely reason for why the pistol was removed from the list is that in 2009, the Yuri Gagarin Cosmonaut Training Center, which had up until then been run by the military, was handed over to Roscosmos, Russia's civilian space agency. Um, so whenever they hand it over to a civilian space agency, they, they don't want to be carrying weapons. As far as handheld firearms in space go, there have been three. The Makarov pistol, the TP-82 survival gun, and the MP-443 pistol. And it's likely none have ever flown since 2009. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for some chicanery. Oh, don't worry, we'll, we'll get there. Oh, yes. But wait, there's more. And that's where the space survival gun story would end. Except we need to talk about the space gun contest and the entry that lost the Taz 81, a rifle shotgun revolver. It does look very fancy. Yeah. So for those who don't know, the Soviets loved contests and a lot of the more famous weapons they built were actually designed and selected through contests. This is partly because Stalin just really liked the idea and thought it brought out the best from his designers but also because it worked. Uh, the AK-47 was selected in a contest, and a lot of Soviet fighter aircraft were also picked through similar like uh, competitions. So when the Soviets needed a space gun, they did what they always did. Uh, they went to a bunch of gun manufacturers, laid out the rules of the contest, and set them loose. While the TP-82 was designed by a guy named Igor Skrylov, the Tula arms plant entered the Taz-81. So the first thing to note when looking at the Taz 81 is that it looks a lot more sci-fi and sleek than the TP-82. The, the 82, like we said, just kind of looks like a sawed off shotgun. The Taz 81 looks like a space gun. It, it it's, does. A, it's like 
It's a giant revolver, except the cylinder sits above the barrel and like back behind the trigger. Um, unlike the TP-82, it only had one barrel, but the cosmonauts could like they could quickly swap out a rifle barrel and a shotgun barrel. It also had a folding bayonet knife that could be folded up along the top of the gun and the stock it came with could be used as an antenna for the cosmonauts radios. In the end, it lost the contest to the TP-82. Um, there's a lot of different reasons that people have posited. It's unclear which one exactly. Uh, but some of the ideas are that the Taz 81 was considered less reliable and a lot more complex than the 82. When you're considering that a survival weapon is supposed to be as reliable as possible, like you can see why this is a problem. It was also viewed as less versatile than the 82. While it could hold more bullets or shells, it could only hold one type at a time. Uh, if you wanted to turn it from a rifle to a shotgun, you had to like break it down, swap out the barrels. This was like pretty easy to do for a gun, but compared to the 82, where it could just have everything it needed at once, like you could shoot a rifle round and a shotgun round like back to back. I was about to say, <laughs> I definitely felt like you were going to tell me that this was rejected on the grounds of its complexity, because yes, this does not look very simple. It, it is so sleek, though. You have to admit, like it, it, it looks, looks good. It but, looks so cool. What, the 81? I absolutely yeah, think the 81. That yeah, I absolutely oh, feel like this would this would cause you some problems. The upside down <laughs> revolver. I love it. At the end of the day, because it lost the contest and wasn't selected, the Taz 81 never flew and exists only as a single prototype in a museum. Soviet laser guns. If anyone was disappointed that the last section wasn't sci fi enough, I, I hope this one will make you feel a little bit better, uh, because this is where I get to introduce the Soviet space laser pistol. Oh my fucking god. Yeah, they, yeah. Built la they built laser pistols. Now, like the survival gun, this one is also wrapped up in all kinds of like Cold War space race secrecy. If you go on Google, you can find dozens of short, poorly researched articles about how this thing was either a glorified laser pointer or a handheld death ray. Um, I want to ask you guys what you think this was used for. Uh, honestly, I think it has to go back to the ultimate and anti astronaut technology of I'm going to poke a hole in this fucking suit. OK, w what if I what if I told you it's even less useful than that? I would be overjoyed. This thing looks like an angry glue gun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's very sleek. It's very chrome, but it also like. It's it's blocky, like it just looks like they carved it out like at a mill. The pictures I'm seeing, it already looks horrifically awkward for regular human hands. Now do it with spacesuit. Yeah, good luck actuating that trigger. You're going to be finger blasting <laughs> that thing for like, what, three seconds while everyone else around you is going, what the fuck is going on? Well, well, don't worry, because even if it takes you a little while or even if you accidentally like shoot your friend, it's probably not going to matter with this thing. Oh, beautiful. Um, because this thing was primarily designed to, like, fry spacecraft optics. It's a glorified flashlight. It's a laser pointer. Because they figured that if a, if a hostile manned spacecraft got close, they'd have other weapons to deal with it. And But that if a satellite snuck in close enough and tried to take pictures of a Soviet station, someone would have to go outside and manually shoot its camera with this little laser gun. Even though this is like a huge edge case, it was also a horrible idea because it would involve like like a, an emergency spacewalk is just about one of the most dangerous things you can do. Uh, like no matter how mundane a spacewalk is, even like at the most crazy levels of the Soviet Union, you did not do a spacewalk unless you had like everybody backing you up and you had hours of like everything had to be mapped out down to the minute. If a spacecraft came in close like there were originally ideas that they could fire it out the window, but realistically, they would have had to go outside with this thing because normally preparing for an EVA takes hours. And like that's that's not just NASA red tape and paperwork, like just the act of getting a suit on and leaving the station is difficult and incredibly dangerous if rushed. So the idea that a cosmonaut would be shoved out the airlock to try and hit uh, a satellite's cameras uh, just to prevent it from taking pictures is pretty crazy. And I'm going to tell you why this actually got to the point of them building a prototype because this was a very paranoid time for the Soviet space program, where they were focused on militarizing a lot of their space hardware. And they had one reason for this, the space shuttle. I'm just left to think about, like, it's just all Khrushchev's legacy. It does all come back to him. The ultimate vanity project continues yeah. <laughs> on. 
When it first launched in 1981, the shuttle made a lot of the Soviet brass very worried. Not just because it could carry a lot more astronauts than the Soviet Soyuz uh, spacecraft, but because it had a massive cargo bay. It was actually big enough to fully encapsulate, like it was big enough that you could fit the Soviet uh, Salyut stations inside of it. So, and because of this, there were real worries among the Soviets that the Americans would just use the shuttles to approach and physically steal Soviet satellites and entire space stations by just cramming them into the cargo bay and flying back to Earth. Possibly cosmonauts and all. <laughs> that rules. That sounds like what I would use the space shuttle for. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's the world's shittiest fucking tag sale. Let's go. You're just, you're just floating in your space. You're just a cosmonaut floating in your space station, and suddenly you notice the windows go dark, <laughs> and you oh, you look out the window and you just see like Amer You just see English writing on the inside of a bulkhead. No, better yet, you see nothing but. Huh? Why is there aluminum? What's this aluminum <laughs> for? Why is it all white? Why do I hear knocking? That's that's where you would need an actual repel borders space gun. Assuming that we wouldn't be strapped and ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, this never happened, but it kicked off a wave of Soviet weapons designed to protect their spacecraft. Uh, I'm going to list a few to give you an idea. Nuclear space mines, self-defense autocannons, laser satellites that could escort a station, and the Shield 2 space-to-space -space missile system. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> Wonderful. That's the that's the one you see in the image right now that looks like a hedgehog. This is Sonic the Hedgehog's shittier older brother. We're we're definitely going to talk about these weapons and give them their proper due in another episode later down the line. But one of the great things about them is that they were designed to be modular and could be mounted on any spacecraft to turn them into a cut-rate space battleship. Uh, and that's not even that's not even going over the real space battleship they designed called Polyus. I I have so many questions, but I'm going to go to my first one. How did they think ASAP was going to end other than turning space into a gigantic fucking hostile emptiness? Because now you already I have mean, to contend what now you have to contend with. The vacuum of space, the cold, and now, ah, yes, some I don't even know what regimen this would be in because it's. Uh, past hypersonic either way you're getting turned into a fucking beef slurry i i'm <laughs> so not i am not certain of what like their their actual like assuming these things actually got to like operational use which thankfully which thankfully they never did i am not certain what the soviet like battle doctrine would have been like what the what the rules of engagement was it's very possible they would have used these things for like uh basically mad like mutually assured destruction if no one or has just to like try and to try and scare off whoever was trying to mess with them if if i can't have space no one can yeah be, but if it did come down to it uh it's you know like if a full-on like cold war if the cold war went hot kessler there syndrome would be the would be the least of anyone's worries i would dare say it would be one of the longer term consequences if oh, not longer absolutely but if it comes down to winning in the here and now, oh, who gives a they're, not, they're not they're going to. Yeah, they, they will go scorched space. That's just gone. We're nuking it. Do you think that it would become like an, a, a natural wonder of the world? The the, the garbage cloud that the great, the great rings of space. Earth. Great yeah. garbage cloud. <laughs> we had one in the fucking Atlantic. We have to put it in space as well. <laughs> So with all of this in mind, it makes a bit more sense why the Soviets developed the laser pistol in 1984. Like, it was designed as a last-ditch weapon to be used after every one of their other weapons had failed. It didn't matter if leaving the space station to shoot at the Americans was impractical, because the fact that you'd need to meant that all of your other options were useless. Thankfully, like a lot of Soviet projects, the laser pistol never flew to space and development died with the end of the Soviet Union. Peter the Great Academy, an engineering school in St. Petersburg, did get a prototype out of it, though. So I figure why not take a bit of time and talk about it? It's so delightfully scuffed. It yeah. really is. So if you're listening and you have never seen this gun, I highly recommend you pause right now and go look it up. Just look up Soviet laser gun and you'll see it. Like someone has taken the worst possible things about ergonomics and stuffed them into a singular platform 
It said, okay, oh, it's yes. a prototype. They they would have they would have hopefully made it a little bit better later on. And then said, yes, I want you to handle this with the biggest gloves in existence. Good luck. Yeah. Also, there is no way you were loading that in a suit. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that is that is probably fair. Um, but yeah, like if, if you're if you're on YouTube, you'll be seeing it right now. If you're listening, go look it up because it is really cool. The first thing to notice is that this sci-fi laser pistol has a magazine and actually takes small bullet-shaped light bulbs as ammo. The idea is that in the front of the gun is a small synthetic ruby, and each of the flash bulb bullets is packed with zirconium and metal salt that'll, like, whenever it's burned, it'll produce an incredibly bright flash. So the bullet is moved up into the gun, it's lit, the flash is concentrated through the ruby into a beam, that could reportedly damage electronics and cause some serious eye damage. Question. Yes. Why did they decide that synthetic ruby was the uh, the material of choice? I, I do not know why they landed on that. Um, and to be completely fair, this is another thing where it gets into Cold War secrecy. Most of the sources say synthetic ruby. There are some others that say a synthetic garnet or like a slightly different kind of crystal. But the end operation of the gun is the same. Like you have these little uh, flash bulb bullets and they fire light through a crystal that gets concentrated into a laser. That forms it into the correct wavelength. Yes. Now, this is just going to, you know, damage some electronics or hurt your eyes. I want to make this really clear. This gun could not kill. As Demian Makarenko, a representative for Peter the Great Academy, said, quote, Sorry, I have to tell you right away, it has no deadly force, so you won't be able to see a hole in the head of your client after firing this thing. Um, so, so some have suggested it could put a hole in a spacesuit, but e like even that is beyond what this thing could do. OK, that, that is the only thing I had heard about it. Damn, I was hopeful yeah. for once that lasers. I know, but it's it's also like like we talked about, like the, this was part of a huge buildup of Soviet space weapons, and they they designed this thing, even among all of their other weapons, to never have to use it. Like I was just hoping for lasers to be finally useful in man-to-man -man yeah. combat. So what if this is this is like how battleships and aircraft carriers have guns on board, like just in case everything else fails, you might need to shoot somebody. I, I have to interrupt just Go because ahead. after learning that this is also useless. My only image is just astronauts furiously like using EVA packs at close range and just slap the shit out of each other. And like, oh, there's a to, bunch of video games with that now. And just try to find a hose to rip and just go, ha ha, yeah. dickhead. But then yeah, just realize like, that if you can rip a hose, they can as well. And they're not going to be kind to you. I want to see I want to see this grapple happen, except I want it to be set to like classical music. No, I was just saying to Ave Maria, just like the most <laughs> just, Yeah, just like two two dudes just like ripping hoses out of each other's space. Or even better, they completely miss on the first pass and try they, to They miss and their their hoses get tangled. <laughs> no, I was just saying they completely miss and then they just have to readjust and reclose distance. This time just like, oh yeah, I missed last time. I'm not going to now, dickhead. <laughs> Prepare to die. Alright, so so back to it. Fortunately for the world, and unfortunately for me, almost none of these Soviet space weapon projects ever flew, and most existed only as prototypes. Two known examples of the Soviet laser pistol were made. One was the pistol we just talked about, and the other was a revolver version, which operated basically the same. Probably more reliable. Um, so yeah, that is all there really is to talk about so far with space guns. And that is also where I think we are going to cap off this episode. So... We've talked about them. They basically break down into survival guns and cool laser guns that could damage some electronics. Not quite as sci-fi as a lot of the stories, I though. I fucking love it. I am uh, pleasantly disappointed. Yeah, I mean, I hope I hope there was still some fun along the way. Like the only reason why the space survival gun existed was because Alexei Leonov couldn't stay in his seat. And insisted on horsing around during re-entry. It's the it's it's the it's the butterfly effect of engineering. <laughs> or or the fact that the Soviets got so paranoid about America stealing their space stations that they suddenly like um basically America launches the space shuttle 
And then they look over at the Soviets like, hey, you like our cool thing? And the Soviets, every satellite immediately starts like just sprouting guns and missiles. I was just saying, like, the <laughs> ultimate ship post would be if they actually did start abducting us. <laughs> what is it, space stations? And then just have a crew go out, just start stabbing holes and re-release it. <laughs> just there you go. You didn't want to come on board friendly. Now we'll take you when we you're wanted, dead. We wanted to do some maintenance. The satellite now has like a screwdriver sticking out the side of it. I was going to say, you're just the one Soviet dude in there with the fucking astronaut <laughs> suit on, staring at the screwdriver. Oh my god, screwdriver. dude, it just... It'd, it'd just be the shining like an american astronaut oh, with a survival just... axe is like chopping <laughs> into your space station <laughs> i yeah, see I, suppose, I suppose it really is kind of just like a metal skin huh it's it is incredibly thin it is not meant to be punctured <laughs> in any way blinds him in one eye with the shitty laser pistol you ever wondered if fucking take, war take that you ever wonder if war trophies could be taken in space i'm gonna learn you a thing <laughs> And even then, even then, like it's like if the American astronaut just had their visor down, it probably wouldn't like save their eye or anything. It'd still do some damage. More but like, like the, uh, the gold ablative one. Yeah, like this can be mitigated with that visor. Like you can pretty not safely, but like it protects you from the unfiltered light of the sun. That um, would probably actually protect you from that laser to the significant degree of it would be like someone shining an extremely bright flashlight in your eyes you're not yeah. gonna be able to function for a couple of seconds but at the same time you're just getting angrier the soviets put millions of rubles into designing the ultimate thing for for annoying your co-workers yeah i guarantee you at this after it was done students at this peter the great academy used it to like annoy each other and play pranks well, like across <laughs> campus just haha dickhead so yeah that is uh that is our episode on space guns. Thank you for listening to Failure to Launch. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review or tell a friend. Everything helps. If you want to follow us, contact us, or suggest a topic, you can email us at launchfailurepodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at launch underscore failure. Failure to Launch is hosted on Anchor, and we post on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. We also post our episodes with visual aids on YouTube at Failure to Launch. All music was provided by DJ Danarchy.